All right, hello to all the cinephiles out there. Welcome to the Marquee Spotlight, coming to you from the always sunny Portland, Oregon. Uh, I am Spencer Bailey, and I'm here, as usual, with my jovial co-host, Chelsea Burnett. Hi, Chelsea. Hey, Spencer. Good evening. Good evening. We also have a guest tonight. Uh, We are joined by Brittany Young. Hi, Brittany. Hi, Spencer. Hi, Chelsea. How are y'all doing? Great. We're so glad to have you here. We're going to have some fun today. Um, the spotlight topic today is we're going to do our top 10 indie films of the 21st century. And we're going to kind of format that in a really fun way that I think is going to really be entertaining. We're also going to play, before that, a quick little game of uh, the IMDb game. Uh, so hope we have a lot of fun in this episode. Hope everybody has fun listening to us. And uh, we're going to start off with some news and the first news story I wanted to bring up. So Netflix just inked a deal. And I'm bringing this up because in the last episode, Chelsea, you and I talked about, they just picked up the rights to the next two Knives Out sequels. Well, now this week we find out um, they made a deal with Sony Pictures. They're going to get the domestic streaming rights to them starting next year. And it's a multi-year deal. And the big one, of course, that includes Spider-Man, among many other things. So Netflix is not playing around. I, I think... They see that they certainly have more competition now. You know, HBO Max is is growing in numbers. They've made some really good decisions. You know, with uh, Snyder Cut and King Kong versus Godzilla, bringing in new people. And I think that Netflix is like, we gotta get something going here to make sure people are still coming in. Make it special. I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little confused. Like, I've tried to understand what the deal is with Sony and Fox, and Disney, and Marvel. Can anyone explain that to me? (laughs) Well, yeah. Um, So Disney owned a lot of the Marvel movie rights, and they they don't have rights to the comics, but the movies. Uh, Sony owned the rights to Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four, and then Fox owned the rights to uh, X-Men and everything affiliated with the mutants. Now, of course, we know now Disney has now bought out the Fox entertainment section of that company. So they now have the rights to the X-Men. Well, with Sony, um, actually, you know what? I might've been mistaken. Fox may have also owned Fantastic Four, but I digress because I think they have the rights to the Fantastic Four now, but Sony never gave up the rights to Spider-Man. It was almost like a, we're letting you borrow your own character Mm. that you already own MCU and comic wise, they own them. And that partnership, I think, has ended. They want to pull Spider-Man back and probably screw him up again. So when those move the the new movies with Tom Holland that are coming out, those are Sony properties. But sometimes they Sony loans Disney Marvel Tom Holland Spider-Man character to have like performed in uh, Avengers: Civil War. Is that kind of how I'm understanding it? That's the gist of it. Okay. Yes. They're like, we're going to split the money on this one because okay. I think Sony knows that they can make money off it that way. And they were not doing a good job with Spider-Man. Those Andrew Garfield movies were terrible. Mm-hmm. So Brittany, anything to input? I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man were that terrible. Get out of my house. Okay. <laughs> I mean, the Tobey Maguire ones were obviously superior, as we all <laughs> Emo Spider-Man. I well, love Emo Spider-Man, though. <laughs> not that one. The third one, Tobey Maguire. The second one is quite good with Dr. Octopus. This does make sense. for. Uh, it's a smart strategic business move, I think, for Netflix to to have the lock 
on uh, on the Spider-Man and Venom. And there was another title, the Jared Leto movie that is oh, coming out. Morbius, there. Okay. The Living Vampire. Yes. Um, um, that is going to be an interesting one. Mm-hmm. But uh, Netflix, not playing around. They put out a lot of content. As I said previously, a lot of it's not good. I think they know they had to bring in some some big name stuff. And uh, good for them. I'm not as pumped about this as the Knives Out announcement, but uh be interesting to see. Well, maybe I'll finally get around to seeing the Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans up there on Netflix and, and Emma Stone. You know, those are the movies that brought them real together, talk, right? Though, I, yeah, real talk, though, I would probably skip them. Like, my love for Andrew Garfield does not cloud my general judgment about those movies. They're... <laughs> Isn't there a really funny scene where he's doing something with a skateboard? Oh, yeah. I, I think I saw Tony Hawk making fun of it on YouTube. <laughs> um. The first one's watchable. The second one is not. <laughs> yeah, I, I mirror that sentiment exactly, Spencer. The second one is like pretty laughable, even in there's some moments that uh I'll I'll try not to spoil anything. There's some more serious, like maybe sad moments that occur and if it's the Gwen Stacy thing, it is a forty year old comic book storyline. It's oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Like, you know, maybe our listeners are just like tuning it. They're only going to see Spider-Man for the first time on Netflix. I'm not trying to ruin it for them. (laughs) Yeah. So Netflix making big moves. Now, I have one more story I'm springing on you guys right now. And I just want to spit on this for a minute. I don't know why, but there is an Indiana Jones 5 coming out. There was talk that it was coming out and now it looks like it's happening. I do want to bring up that they have cast this week Phoebe Waller-Bridge from Fleabag. And as of today, they announced Mads Mikkelsen is going to play the villain. That's cool and all, but Harrison Ford's about to be 80 years old, dog. And uh, that last one was not good. So, oh, oh, and John Williams will be back. 90-year-old John Williams will be doing the score. So, I don't know that... The announcement of these three names is enough to get me excited, but I definitely wanted to hear what you two had to say. Gosh, I, I'm constantly amazed at what Harrison Ford is still willing to do. I, he <laughs> loves the paycheck. I mean, don't we all? <laughs> I, I can't blame him. Yeah, I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I um, Do we know at all what her character will be? In the- Speculation she'll be his daughter, but... With the whole Shia LaBeouf being a son thing not really working out, I, I maybe she's uh, a works protege at the university or, or some protege. Mm-hmm. Exactly, well said. So, and I love Mads Mikkelsen, and you love Mads Mikkelsen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, he plays an excellent villain. He does. Um. A very complicated. Um. Uh, yeah, Brittany. Do you have any thoughts on? Do you are you an Indiana Jones fan? I do like Indiana Jones. I would I wouldn't say that I'm a diehard fan, but I did see um, the announcement about Phoebe Waller Bridge and some very lovely memes about Mads Mikkelsen as being cast in it. Um, I kind of feel similarly to Spencer in that maybe I'm not as stoked for this as maybe I should be, but will I maybe go and see it? Probably because of Phoebe Waller Bridge and I mean Harrison Ford what's not to love right even though the the mere image is kind of making me laugh already i just remember when the trailer for the crystal skull came out and there's the scene in the warehouse where he's like swinging on his whip and he like 
lands in a truck next to a, a Nazi, or I guess we're past the Nazis at this point, but a, a villain. And he's like, oh, I'm getting too old for this and punches the guy. I'm like, I just can't. I just can't. He's like my grandpa, like punching this this guy. I just. He had to throw some punches in uh, Blade Runner 2049, though, didn't he? But he was great in that. I, I know. Yeah. So he, I maybe with the with the right project, something that he really cares about. Uh, maybe he just wasn't feeling it for Crystal Skull. I'm hoping that they're going to bring it for this fifth one, knowing that the fourth one was such a disappointment. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he was great in Blade Runner. And I don't know. The last Indiana Jones wasn't good. And I don't like the new Star Wars movies. And I guess that wasn't his fault, but you could tell he was he was mailing it in for a paycheck. I don't know. We'll see. By the way, Mads Mikkelsen has been an MCU villain. He's been a Bond villain. He's going to be in the new Fantastic Beast. Now he's being an Indiana Jones villain, and I think there's another one. Like, And he was in Star Wars, but he wasn't. Oh, I mean, you can't really call his character a villain. In no, that but he's in the universe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mads Mikkelsen. Yeah. Oh, and he's been Hannibal Lecter. Yeah, that's actually my favorite role of his. I'm not like... Yeah, I'm not as well-versed with Mads Mikkelsen as I believe the two of you are, but the first thing that I saw him and that really got me into him was the NBC Hannibal show, and it also has my husband, Hugh Dancy. So. Mads, is he's really good on that show. And it's, it starts to go off the rails towards the end, but him and Lawrence Fishburne and, and Dancy are, like, awesome on that mm-hmm. show. So That was such a... I've only seen a couple episodes of, of that show, but I've feel like it was really daring for NBC to put that type of a show out there in prime time for most like average American audiences. It was kind of challenging for oh, yeah. like, a lot of viewers. I honestly like I kind of wonder like how it would have fared if it came out like in pres like right now instead of in like what 2013 or 14 because yeah back in the day that sort of thing was just like yeah not not seen on on NBC or anything but uh, we'll see how Indiana Jones turns out. I, I don't, I don't have a good feeling, but yeah. So, all right, cool. Well, we're going to take a quick little break and then we'll be back to play the IMDb game. Okay. We're back. All right. Now we're going to play a nice little round of the IMDb game. Now I know there's a lot of different ways to play this. When you, when you like look it up online, there's like a few different ways. And I know people kind of make house rules. So we kind of adjusted it to where we think it's going to be fun. Um, the theme is going to be the Oscars. The Oscars are coming up. So we picked an actor from the four categories and a director nominee. Um, we're going to name, we're going to name them off one at a time and we have to guess what their top four IMDb, you know, picks are. Um, for everyone you get right, you get a point. If you get all four right, you get a bonus point. Most points wins. Are we ready? Ready. Ready, Freddy. All right. First up, the lovable Gary Oldman. Brittany. I'm sorry. I know Gary Oldman is very lovable. All I could think of was Harry Potter and literally nothing else. You know what? You may get one over on me because I forgot all I about the Harry Potter spaced. movies. Yeah. And oh, Serious were, Black, right? Yes. Yep, oh, such high grossing that. films. Uh, this might have bit us in the ass. Chelsea, what were you for? Wait, wait. No, oh, yeah. Did you, you say rather... all four Harry Potters? Yeah, he's, I only, he's only in. Two, I only put three. He's uh, in three. So no, I only had one thing. I just wrote Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter. Well, I, so pick one. Okay, um, the Prisoner of Azkaban. I think that's a good pick. What else? And 
Chamber of Secrets. I honestly don't remember. Like, yeah, he, I know this is bad. He wasn't in Chamber of Secrets. <laughs> no, he totally was not. <laughs> Order of the Phoenix. He's in that one. And then, was he in Half Blood Prince? Nope. Okay. <laughs> no, you were such a Harry Potter fan, Spencer. Also, yeah. I don't know how I could forget that he's not in Half Blood Prince because I was forced to watch that movie like thirty times in a month. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, are you tapping out after two? Yeah, I'll tap out. <laughs> I can't think of the other one. All right, Chelsea, what were you for? Um, is the movie called The Darkest Hour yes. that he won the Oscar for? Okay, yes. The Darkest Hour. I also have that. The Dark Knight. I also have that. Sid and Nancy. That's an interesting pick. Okay. And The Fifth Element. Oh, that's another interesting pick. So I did Darkest Hour, Dark Knight, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, uh, and Leon the Professional. Ooh. All right. The answer is Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, The Dark Knight, Darkest Hour. Oh, and Dracula. 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 Oh, I forgot. Yeah, he's great in Dracula. It's an interesting movie, but he's really good in it. I'm sorry, so, Gary Oldman. That's zero points for Brittany. That's all good. I can't believe Harry Potter didn't show up. That's usually on people's. But I'm surprised too, because sometimes I think it's based off of Chris. Probably I might be totally wrong about that. But it seems like the Chelsea got two, two, and I got three. A valiant You're start, going. everyone. <laughs> all right. Next one, Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Brittany, I'm gonna say Get Out. I think. And yeah. I and also said get out. I said get out. Okay. Yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah. I also said that. I also said that. And I had a brain fart for the other two. Okay. I put uh, Widows. Okay. And I don't know the episode's title, but I just wrote Black Mirror. So I did Sicario and Black Mirror because I thought he might be on there. I have he's a hunch. He's in Black- Sicario? Yeah. Yeah. He's Emily Blunt's partner. Um, what? I got to rewatch this. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. So. I said Black Mirror, just throwing it out there. So let's find out what the answer is. Uh, get out. Okay. Uh, oh, my God. Black Panther. I forgot he's in Black Panther. Oh. He's got a smaller part. Uh, Queen and Slim and Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, wow. So two points for all of us. <laughs> we both said, out. we all said get out and Judas. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. It's getting interesting. It's getting interesting. Next up, she's up for best lead, Carrie Mulligan. Brittany? So I said shame. I also said shame. I also said shame. Never let me go. Promising young woman. I'm not sure it's on there, but I'd put that. And drive. I also also said drive. So what was your fourth one, Chelsea? Uh, Education. I put. Or is it an education? An education. I did an education, drive, shame, and great Gatsby. The answers are never let me go. Look at you. It's a good movie. Brittany's on the comeback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> an education. Did you do that one, Brittany? It was just me and Chelsea. Just the two of you. Shame's on there. So we all three get that. And oh, suffragette. Suffragette. Oh. Okay. Listen. <laughs> you're, you're the guest. I'm going to let that. I'm gonna let that. Okay, it's okay if you suffragette how to pronounce things. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, how many points is that for Brittany? Um, three. Brittany got three for that one. You drive. Never let me go in an education. No, you didn't say an education. Yeah, no, so I got two. Chelsea, two. 
I got two because I had an education and drive. I also had two. So That's... shame did not make it. Yeah, shame did. Oh, oh you have three? Oh, crap. Then I had three. I had oh, yeah, shame. I, I had shame. So we, we all put shame down. Yeah. Wait, drive's not on there. So shame and education. Oh, okay. So okay. Two, two, two. Mm-hmm. Cool. That first round might might make all the difference. Okay. <laughs> all right. She's up for Best Supporting Actress. Next up, Amanda Seyfried. So I picked these movies solely because I don't think they're going to be on there. So Got to be a rebel. Yeah. Um. So I put Mean Girls. So did I. I put Mean Girls. Mamma Mia. So did I. I put Mamma Mia. Jennifer's Body. Oh, my God. I spaced that one. And Red Riding Hood. Wow. Totally forgot about that movie. What yeah, other, as we should. What were your other two? Chloe. And and then I spaced and I just wrote Mank. Yeah, oh, I, I wrote, wrote Chloe. I did Mean Girls and Mamma Mia, and then I did Mank and Dear John. Oh, Dear John. Oh, my God. We're all so dumb. The first one is Les Miserables. <gasps> oh. Mean Girls is on there. We each get a point. Dear John is on there. Look at me. Did you Pick- cheat, Spencer? No, no, no. And Mamma Mia. Okay. So I got three. You guys got two. Jennifer's body is on there. <laughs> her best work. Why would you accuse me of cheating, Justin? I'm just jealous. I don't like to lose in movie <laughs> trivia. I'm not a competitive person at all, so I am chill and like a villain. Brittany says that now, and then I'm going to do the final score, so she's going to flip, flip the, table the table and storm out. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. We'll make sure to cut to a break before that happens. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Last one. This is your chance. Take it, Chelsea. David Fincher. Okay. I had. I, I promise everyone. I promise we're going to take a break from David Fincher after this episode. I know the first <laughs> three episodes, we are just drowning you and David Fincher. We just love him so much. And also, I wanted to pick a director, and the other candidates didn't have a lot of well known movies. I don't think we would have done very well. So, uh, Fincher. Yeah, Chelsea can go first this time. Okay. I went with uh, seven. Did anyone else put seven down? No. Uh-uh. Really? Okay. <laughs> the Social Network? I did The Social Network. Oh, no, I didn't put that one. Fight Club? I did Fight Club. And Gone Girl? Nope. Okay. What were your other ones, Brittany? Um, yeah, I put Gone Girl, Zodiac, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, and I blanked on a fourth one. I did Mank, Zodiac, Social Network, and Fight Club. Okay. The answers are first one, seven, Chelsea. Look at you. This is the comeback. Then Zodiac. Oh, I didn't think Zodiac would be there, but I'm happy to hear it is. Gone Girl. And I almost put that on there. And Social Network. Surprise Flight Club's not on there. So I got two. Chelsea got three. You, it was seven Social Network and Gone Girl? Yep. Okay. Yeah. And Brittany got two. two. All right. So let's total these up. Brittany and I both work in accounting, but I'm like, leave that math away from me. <laughs> I can't do it. Where's my calculator? I know my math brain turns off as soon as the work computer is shut. So sorry about that. All right. Coming in at a very respectable third is Brittany with eight. And the winner. By one point. The total of 12. Is me. I won. <laughs> Chelsea the with host. eleven. The- Chelsea with eleven. I thought you. I thought you. You got to come back on the David Fincher thing. So, all right. So there it is. IMDb game. We will definitely be playing this again some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I'm looking forward to winning again. So thank you both for participating in this. Till next time. Till next time.
All right. Sometime. <laughs> All right. One more break, and we'll be back with the uh, top ten twenty first century indie movies. All right. Welcome back. Okay. So as I said, today's spotlight theme is going to be um, the top ten indie films of the twenty first century. Uh, now I understand that this is really just our opinion. So hopefully you enjoy listening to that. Um, before we get into it, I'm going to explain how we're going to do this. So we each pick three movies. Oh, before I go on, I need to say this top 10 idea was thought up by my friend James. Um, I want to make sure he gets credit because he did kind of give me some shit about that. But uh, we kind of came up together, but it was mostly his idea. But I think it's a great idea. So um, we're each going to give three, which will give us nine. And then we'll come up with a consensus 10th. Now, after we have our 10 we're going to make our cases for the order and hopefully we can come to a ranking of these, of these 10 movies uh, without killing each other. Uh, so just for the sake of being fair, I know Chelsea, you were saying uh, you thought it'd be a good idea. And I agree with you to really kind of briefly explain what we're considering to be an indie movie. And even after this explanation, I'm sure there's going to be some pedantic people out there uh, that are going to wag their finger at this. I don't really care. Uh, we're just going to at least explain our criteria. For the purposes of our ranking today, these were kind of the bullet points that I wanted to go over for uh, what we classify indie film as. Major one being that it's not produced by a major studio. Uh, I think Almost all of our choices premiered at film festivals, which is usually uh, an indication of it being an indie film. All indie films typically have a unique vision of the auteur with little studio input. And um, the budget, the, the highest budget I found of the nine we've come up with so far was $15 million, which in the grand scheme of things is 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 not very high and the the lowest budget i believe i found for one of our films was four hundred thousand dollars so um take that for what it is and um let's have some fun talking about these movies yes accept it or turn the podcast off there are no other options don't at us that's right <laughs> Uh, so Brittany, you're the guest. And more importantly, when we brought this top 10 idea to you, you suggested the, the theme when I, I thought it was a great theme. So thank you for that. But for those two reasons, I'd love it if you started. So if you could start by telling us, uh, what is your number three? My number three. So sorry, let me just pull up my list. Uh, I put Ingrid Goes West as my third film on that list. And I guess thinking about it now i didn't yeah i didn't actually put them in any particular order but i'll i'll do it for the sake of it now yeah ingrid goes west was my third one and have both of you seen that film yes i have okay i've seen it twice yeah i've watched everything we're going to talk about so we're good oh fantastic so tell me why why did you pick that what, what was it about that movie that made you put it in your in your top three well, so for one, I am actually quite a big Aubrey Plaza fan outside of her work in Parks and Recreation. Um, and I do feel that she is underrated as an actress. And I really like the concept for Ingrid Goes West. When I first heard about it, I was like, okay, so that's Aubrey Plaza. And they're going to talk about social media influencers, which I'm very into social media, like maybe more so than I should be. And I was like, 
all right, so what's this movie going to be? And I wasn't, I was expecting something to be kind of superficial and maybe like not actually providing as much commentary as it was promising. But I will say that the movie itself is very sharp and it definitely dives deep into the core of how shallow uh, that lifestyle can be. And I really just loved seeing Aubrey Plaza portray a character that, again, wasn't just like a deadpan person because she's something else besides Julie Powers from Scott Pilgrim or April Ludgate from Parks and Recreation. And you really want to root for her throughout the movie, even though it kind of like you cringe at the same time. And I think this movie is even more relevant in present times because of how like the pandemic has kind of forced all of us to enter more like uh, interact, have more interactions with people just through like virtual mediums and stuff. And, and actually me personally, like I do know that there's a lot more like celebrities that are partaking in these, like in streaming and that sort of thing as a way of connecting with their fans. But then all that is, is like um, um, it's kind of perpetuating the idea that parasocial interactions are okay and I really like the way that Ingrid Goes West tackles that because Ingrid doesn't realize throughout the whole movie that Taylor, so played by Elizabeth Olsen, her social media friend is not her friend. And just because she liked her comment one time or responded to her saying, like, just go eat this avocado toast here, that she can just latch onto that. And I feel like that's such a powerful thing that happens so, so often in this day and age that we really like the idea of these celebrities and we're like I could definitely be their friend but and it seems pretty obvious that obviously you don't know them on a personal level but for some reason why is it that people get so attached to these things that we just see posted on the internet that is very well said and I will say this is one of the two movies that I had to watch this week to prepare um it's a really good movie I mean I've heard about it I've just hadn't gotten around to it um Aubrey Plaza is really good in it uh, and also Elizabeth Olsen, who, who Elizabeth Olsen, who has really grown on me. I didn't really like her at first, but I've, the more I've seen her and stuff recently, like she's she's not bad. I mean, she's she, I've I've seen that she's a better actor than I gave her credit for. Um, and it, I like what you said. You're kind of rooting for her. And I remember when the movie started, I thought of this Mark Twain quote that I'm gonna butcher, but he basically it, it says. Um, uh, and who prays for the devil? Like who in all the centuries have has prayed for the one sinner who's had the humanity to pray for the one sinner needs it the most. And that's how I feel about her because it's like, it's so easy to be mad at her at the beginning of the movie, but you feel sorry for it. Cause you're like, Oh, this, this person just has no identity and their identity is completely their social media. And then I got halfway through the movie and I went, Oh, none of them have an identity. Nobody in this movie has an identity. O'Shea Jackson's identity is Batman. And I, that comes back, you sit in my house now with Batman stuff everywhere. Even I thought that was pathetic. And Elizabeth Olsen has no identity. She steals it from other people. And, you know, her husband doesn't know who he is. And her brother is He's so lost in identity. Up. He's a drug addict. Yeah. Um, but the commentary on the addiction to social media, you're right. I think you're spot on. Chelsea, any thought? Uh, you you both have summed up my thoughts exactly. And um, this was like such a pleasure to rewatch this movie. I kind of are, had now the 
awkward feelings of watching Aubrey Plaza's character uh, getting busted and and caught and all of these uh, cringe-inducing situations she puts herself in. Now that I kind of was expecting those, I was able to take in more of the supporting characters' performances and also the work Aubrey Plaza was bringing to it. Like There is a real sensitivity that she is bringing to this really kind of demented character and a real sadness I uh, I think that they um, the the movie is is written really well it's paced very well because just as things seem like they're kind of about to get a little stagnant we're kind of like okay we've gotten this far in the story then that brother character is introduced and is this great foil for Aubrey Plaza and um, he just makes your skin crawl he's just I mean, you hate him more than you do pretty much anyone else in the movie. And yet at the same time, he's kind of doing what's right. But it's just a great commentary for, um, I think, our our generation or what we're, we're facing now um, with uh, social media and technology nowadays and, and sociology. Yeah. Great pick. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, what's your number two? My number two is Short Term 12. It's a great movie such a good movie yeah that is a movie that really moved me in a very unexpected way and so I wasn't too familiar with Brie Larson like before this film actually like I think the first thing I'd ever seen her in was uh probably like Scott Pilgrim versus the world yeah, as Envy Adams and boy howdy um short term 12 I those homes for um those for the troubled youth um for lack of better terms yeah, that's honestly not a thing that I've seen portrayed in media very much. And it's admittedly something that I don't know very much about. And man, like seeing Rami Malek and Lakeith Stanfield and uh, baby Caitlin Deeper, who I thought did such an amazing job in that movie. And Brie Larson really showed off some real acting chops. And there was something just so like so raw and so moving about the way that the stories of the the kids at the home were revealed especially Caitlin Devers and the scene where she is waiting for her father to pick her up for her birthday and he doesn't show I think Chelsea and I were actually speaking about it not too long ago was like absolutely devastating and I think the movie itself again coming from somebody who doesn't know that much about these sorts of things it just felt so I sorry I'm like at a loss for words like with how I really feel about this movie. I agree with you. It like the two things you said that I, I totally spot on with is first of all, Brie Larson. Holy shit. Mm. Like if you thought room was a one-time thing, she is just as good in this movie. You apologize. You had a personal emergency. That's not even the point, Jack. Did you read my report? Of course I did. And I was very concerned, but when Jaden's social worker asked her about it, she said her father had never been abusive in any way. Of course she said that. She's fucking scared. What the fuck do they teach you guys in grad school? Jack, in her mind, he is always right behind her watching And the other thing is, like, what you said was really poignant was bringing us into that world. I felt the same way. That's why I enjoyed the movie so much is that you're giving me a situation that I don't know anything about, but I can still, like, connect with it in, in a somewhat empathetic way. But it's it's telling me a story I didn't know about previously in a really well-done way. And uh, yeah, those two things I totally agree with. 
Yeah, utilizing the Rami Malek character, bringing us in because he's the newcomer um, on staff there. I think uh, that was a a real great device to sort of get the audience invested and a quick introduction to what Short Term 12 is like. And Rami Malek being this fish out of water added a really great like humorous element to the movie like I was thinking about when he said like what do you say I've always wanted to work with underprivileged youth or something and yeah. then oh yeah like, Keith Stanfield's like what the, the fuck, fuck do you mean <laughs> oh, so and good. he just keeps putting his foot in his mouth and I feel like I would have done the same exact thing and the other the other moment with Rami Malik is when those girls say do you want to jump rope with us and he just says no. Yeah, yeah the, the other worker <laughs> yeah. was like, "That's not what we meant." Yeah, someone yeah. we meant by making boundaries. With the I kids love and when uh, them no. when Lakeith Stanfield beats the other kid up, and the, the other worker is asking the kid, "Are you okay?" And Rami Malek's like, "Yeah, I'll be all right." But you know that I've never seen anything like that. And like, I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> it was a nice way to break the tension mm-hmm. in a in a heavy movie. I think the movie is so um, it's a really perfect pick for our top 10 because of the, the talent that makes up the the cast and what they've all gone on to do. I, I think it I, when I was looking at the opening credits and he's listed as Keith Stanfield. So uh, this is before he even started going by Lucky. And um, I, it's it's wonderful to see where his career has taken him since I, I'm assuming this was one of his first major roles he had. But um, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. so. Uh, and and yeah, Caitlin Deaver. I that's that scene when she when she has her total um, her meltdown. It's it's could could have so easily dipped into over the top melodrama, but I was right there. Like it's a very visceral experience, and it's like gives you that choked up feeling in your throat as you're watching it. And um, I I think those are are really special moments in cinema that we need to treasure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a great pick. And I'll be totally honest almost put that in my top three so i'm so glad somebody did put it in there but all right big drum roll Brittany. what's your number one pick i hope that can get picked up um <laughs> and my number one is eternal sunshine of the spotless mind i have so many thoughts on this movie but please tell us why you picked it i am very curious to hear your thoughts so admittedly i have not seen this movie in quite a while but it is like whenever i I don't have a definitive favorite anything. I will just say that right now. So even coming up with these top three was really difficult for me. But Eternal Sunshine is a movie that has just kind of stuck with me for a really long time. And I will probably credit it to the fact that I was going through my very first heartbreak the very first time I saw it. So naturally, I was like, oh, man, I'm going to I just feel so connected to the procedure that um, the targeted memory erasure that Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet decide to undergo and I'm like I would totally do that right now but I do love the way that it explores their memories and their um their story together throughout that like you know so it's painted in a way where it's like oh yeah of course like why wouldn't you want to get rid of these memories but then towards the end he kind of seems to realize like actually you know maybe that's not what I want you kind of just the human experience is to like live and to learn rather than to just get rid of it and I'm personally not like the biggest Jim Carrey or Kate Winslet fan like I have nothing against the two of them they're just actors that kind of exist in the ether for me and I was really blown away by both of their performances in the film and I guess yeah my attachment to it is of course more on like a weird personal level but I love any movie that kind of talks more about like the human condition 
and not shying away from just like experiencing things because you know I think it's also a very millennial thing to just like push things under the rug and in this movie even in maybe a non-traditional sense I like that they kind of tackled it head on yeah um it's such a good movie and and I'm feel weird saying that because like you, I have not seen it in a long time. And the reason I've not seen it in a long time is because I don't think I can ever watch that movie again. It made me feel so peculiarly just down, <laughs> even though there's kind of like this hopeful ending sort of because they re-meet again. But I, you know, it's so funny. So one of Chelsea's choices who I'm not going to, to spoil, people say, don't watch that movie after a breakup There's a but curse. but i did or, uh, yeah but or i did watch breakup. it after breakup and i enjoyed it and then same with eternal sunshine which i watched while i was in a relation i was actually married and i oh, i hated the way it made me feel i was like but it's so well done and charlie kaufman what an interesting writer he won the oscar for eternal sunshine i re, you know watched um i'm thinking of ending things i loved that movie actually yeah like, it took took me a minute to figure out mm-hmm. what was going on uh, but also, I did he write Being John Malkovich? I believe he did. Which yeah. I love that. That movie. is a great one, also. So, but I agree with you. Uh, I actually, Kate and Kate Winslet is an all-time great actress, but they're both so good. And I think Jim Carrey was trying to do more dramatic roles because he did the Truman Show before Eternal Sunshine, so. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Eternal Sunshine was like, I'm not just crazy Jim Carrey. So, I I I I think Kate Winslet. Um, her performance makes so much sense the uh the acclaim that she got for it because i i think it um i think it surprised a lot of people i don't know if many people knew that she had that in her range she has this really cool like unhinged uh quality about her in it that and super endearing she's really sexy in it too i i i, I like her uh I, I love her performance in that jim carrey i'm a little cold on that performance i've only seen the movie once and i saw it within the last year was my first time ever seeing it but uh i give jim carrey props for for what he did in stretching himself i I don't think he did a horrible job but i was a little more taken with what kate winslet was doing and the whole side plot with elijah wood mark ruffalo and kirsten dunst (laughs) i was totally like blindsided by that no one had ever told me about that element Uh, as people i know I would hear people talk about how much I love Kirsten Dunst in that movie. And I was like, she's in that movie. I thought it was only Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet. <laughs> and then here she comes and like blows, blows us all away. Um, I feel like a lot of the time, and I apologize for this because it might sound, it might get a little boring. I talk a lot about actors when I talk about movies and what I love about them. So I'm going to try and stretch myself a little bit more about that. But, but yeah, um, I think uh, the, uh, I won't say much more because I, I I totally agree that this movie should be in the top 10. I, don't, I think because I didn't watch it maybe at the right time, it didn't resonate with me um, as much as I know it does with others. But I, I every almost every other person I know that talks about this movie has a really strong reaction to it in a really positive way. So, and yeah. Uh, sorry. No, please go ahead. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, Chelsea, you don't need to invalidate your opinion on the movie. It's totally okay if it didn't resonate with you in any personal way. And I just wanted to say that. 
Yeah. You know. I, I think it's – I will say from a film – thank you for saying that. And I, I feel validated. <laughs> and um, I Things do think – real wholesome a, now, but where do we start trying to rank these movies? It's going to get bloodthirsty. From a filmmaking perspective, though, there's a lot about that memory erasing, which I could see being really uh, challenging to figure out how to – visualize that and um i think charlie kaufman did a superb job with that like it it feels very like dreamlike i i just very i was really impressed with that great thank you Brittany. thank you for sharing those yeah thank you so much all right chelsea your number three movie my number three movie is good time by the safety brothers you mentioned that on the first episode as the best movie you've seen in the last five years. Yeah. I I rewatched it this week so I would be able to to speak to it properly because I was like, was I just dazzled by the music and by Robert Pattinson's manic performance? But no, I mean everything I thought the first time I saw it, I, I feel that much I feel that much more strong about it. So I think the the Safdie brothers are real interesting, like talent on the rise. Um, this I I always thought Good Time was their first film, but doing some research, it was not. I think it was their fourth film they made together. But they they have a real confidence and professionalism and focus to their work, while still maintaining like this really. And I'm basing this only off of seeing Uncut Gems and Good Time while still having a really like youthful energy to to what they're bringing and um it's really like inspirational for me i think the the performance that they well so Benny Safdie is uh plays the brother Nick in in the movie um and um and then Robert Pattinson plays his brother Connie and i was hearing them uh they were going into a little bit of backstory to how they prepared for the film and getting into character and I guess the the Benny and Robert Pattinson were sharing emails and character for a few months leading up to filming and it was as if Connie was in prison writing to his brother after the fact and then um I'm forgetting I feel so bad I'm forgetting the other Safety brother's name but he was kind of coaching Benny along like don't reply to this email it'll really piss the Connie character off and so it's all very method but I think it really paid off um because right off the get-go um the relationship the two brothers has um is very gripping and it also uh i don't know how much i should get into to plot at the moment but all all i can say is that i think they put it best when they said that the movie moves at a speed of connie and connie's brain connie being robert pattinson's character and it's just one crazy bad decision after the next and just someone who is just running completely on instinct trying to do what they think is best but also someone who i think is a sociopath narcissist <laughs> so um which makes for a really uh which made me feel really complicated about his journey but uh it's it's just uh it's a thrill ride and i want to watch that movie again and again i i really like the the music um i think it suits the the story really well yeah, yeah. what did what did you guys think about it i watched it the first time this week you know to get ready for this and i mentioned on the first episode i needed to i needed to watch it right off the bat 
Robert Pattinson. Oh my God. He's incredible. Mm-hmm. Like if you have any question that the dude can break away from Twilight, I mean, I know he was really good in Tenet and he's been in good in other stuff and everybody's excited about him to be Batman. He's, he's unbelievable in this movie. Um, also you said the music music is awesome. Um, so I still don't know how I feel about the Safdie brothers. I've seen Uncut Gems. I've seen Good Times. They both have that same vibe where you're just very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And they use the music and the sound effects and everything, the camera angles to make you purpose. They're trying to make you feel uncomfortable. I wonder, is that going to be their theme going forward? I don't know. They're well-made movies. How much I like them yet, I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, Brittany, please. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat as you Spencer and so again I've only seen Good Time and Uncut Gems so take what I say with a grain of salt I will say Good Time stressed me out less than Uncut Gems <laughs> I agree with that but then but at the same time like admittedly I didn't realize initially like I didn't draw the connection that they were it was directed by the Safdie brothers like I don't know how that didn't click to me but then eventually when I looked up I'm like okay who made this movie or when the credits were rolling I'm like oh that makes so much sense why this manic energy felt so familiar and I do like I'm kind of hoping it doesn't become their thing but at the same time I find it very effective because it's not very often that a movie will legitimately stress me out and I do think good time yeah like mirroring what both of you say Robert Pattinson's performance is outstanding and he definitely carries the whole thing on his back not to slight any of the supporting characters i thought they were all great as well it's just the truth You're, yeah yeah but i mean i will say i do think benny safty's portrayal of a um developmentally uh challenged challenged individual was a little clumsy but you know that aside like like i get where they were going with that and yeah and kind of tackling tacking on to what chelsea said earlier about how connie is kind of narcissistic and sociopathic but you can tell he's doing legitimately what he thinks it's right. And yeah, it is really hard to root for him most of the time. But then for some reason, you still want him to win. And at the end, you're like, when he gets caught, you're like, thank God. But also like, oh, man, like you got away with so That's much. That's a great point. That's a great mm-hmm. point. And I like how quickly he gets caught in the end of the movie. Um, it just kind of happens. Yeah, I, I think um, there was one one little note I wrote to myself about... Um, Okay, uh, Robert Pattinson's performance might come across as real crazed and manic, but it's grounded in re- reality, and the, every move he makes is understandable. That was kind of where I, I came out uh, with that, and I, I, I do think he's kind of the reason, one of the main reasons to go see that movie is that performance. Well said. All right, Chelsea, next up, what's your number two? Um, my number two is Napoleon Dynamite. <laughs> and <laughs> this is a film from 2004. I probably don't have to get into uh, much of the, the plot. I feel like most people are familiar with this movie. You couldn't really escape it um, in the mid-aughts, um, which is part of the reason why I chose it because of its pop culture impact and the fact that it came from a very like you know unassuming small budget it, the short that they made premiered at slam dance um and then they were given the funding to then go on and create napoleon dynamite for this four hundred thousand dollar budget this is a movie i 
I, it's very rewatchable for me. I know some of the jokes might be overplayed at this point, like the vote for Pedro shirt. But I think there is there is a lot of heart to the movie beyond just the jokes that uh, just keeps me coming back for more. The, the, the soundtrack I also really love. It introduced me um, like the song The Promise, the 80s song The Promise is I think so like pitch perfectly used in the movie. And it's a it's a song that will always make me happy when I hear it. And um, the Jamiroquai Canned Heat, which I found out ended up costing them ha- basically half their budget to use that movie, <laughs> use that song in the movie for Napoleon's big dance number, which is also just such a standout moment. Um, I, it, I think it, it was a, it was a movie I saw, I was a freshman in high school when I saw this movie. And I think it, it really made me feel like movie making, filmmaking could, it was within my reach. Um, it just felt really accessible. They made it seem really fun and effortless. I have also had a lot of fun through the years since seeing it. Some of the actors in the film who I thought were nobodies have actually been in Hollywood for many, many years. Like the grandma, like I was just watching Speed and she has like, she plays a bartender. It's Max in a Always Sunny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So um, well, make yourself a dang quesadilla. <laughs> and Uncle Rico, my God. I mean, my sister and I are always quoting like. Back in 82. I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Watch this. Ah! What the heck are you doing? That's what I'm talking about. I better go. How'd you want to bet I could throw a football over the mountains? <laughs> Why are you throwing crap at my van, Napoleon? But, uh, and your grandma went to the sand dunes with her boyfriend <laughs> we just you, you just can't i yeah, just love I, it so I, much i know it's I, I i understand it's a silly choice but it's very meaningful to me it's not a silly choice i remember it, it seems like a lifetime ago when it came out but i i distinctly remember it, it was just like so huge i remember it hit theaters and i don't know anybody that saw it in theaters but then my friends that lived in a house together got a dvd copy and i walk in and they're all dying laughing and they started over for me and then they always had it playing and then I showed it to my dad and then he always had it playing in our house you couldn't escape it and um yeah so some of those actors had a history Hollywood career obviously um what what's the girl's name in the movie uh, uh teen uh the not no, Tina's the, the, <laughs> the llama but she she's been in Hollywood forever she was a little girl in Karina Karina and she was in Waterworld Yes, um, yes. So she's definitely been around, but it's been interesting to see how was it Deb? Is her name Deb? The character's name is Deb. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's been interesting to see how since Napoleon Dynamite, they haven't really done anything. John Heater tried, mm-hmm. he's done a few things, but yeah, super quotable, amazing what they did on a small budget. I mean, yeah, it was everywhere. It was the biggest thing in the world for like three years. Yeah, great pick. Yeah, I had a very similar experience with. Um, to you spent through. so the movie came out when I was in middle school and I remember like yeah I don't think anybody in my middle school went and watched it in the theater but then when we were allowed to pick movies in class it was like we're gonna watch Napoleon Dynamite and I'm like okay this is 
this is chill but we're gonna watch it in spanish we're gonna watch it in french we're gonna watch it in fucking german they didn't even offer german classes in my middle school from what i recall and so i definitely had a bit of like a love-hate relationship with that movie just because of overexposure but then i did revisit it like maybe five or six years ago and i'm like you know this movie it really does hold up there's something so charming about it and yeah maybe some of the jokes are like i can honestly say i'd be happy to not see a vote for pedro shirt like in the public again but at the same time you know like i don't want to discount the impact that napoleon dynamite had on the rest yeah on movies in general what a wild thing showed us a great way to carry our tater tots around in our cargo Mm -hmm. pants and then i don't even know why he was mad when the guy kicks him now he's just got mashed potatoes in his pocket (laughs) you can't ruin potatoes just eat them yeah i get you make a really good point and you know when i was the only points i make yeah when i was in middle school i definitely did wear cargo pants at one point never thought to put tots in there so i learned nothing clearly Brittany is a champion of utility everyone Mm -hmm. all right chelsea here we go big number one and it is um my number one choice is blue valentine such a good movie very good movie Yes, I. So there, you were mentioning Spencer that uh, some people warn those that have just gotten out of a, a relationship to stay away from that movie. I've also heard that there's a curse on this movie that if you watch it as a couple, then you're destined to break up. But I've seen this movie now twice with my husband. I think we're doing okay. <laughs> well, I think the situation in this movie is not. I mean, incredibly unique. I mean, come on. Like, that's not a normal, it's not a normal breakup, which is what I thought when when I saw the movie, I was like, I I have no connection to the way they, they split. You know what I mean? So I don't know why people do. But anyway, please continue. And 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 actually, to just kind of jump ahead really quickly, and I'd be curious to know your thoughts, um, but I actually don't really definitively take away that they are going to divorce at the end of the movie. I think the last thing Michelle Williams says is I need some space. And yeah, it definitely seems likely that they're at least going to separate um, for a while. But I, I maybe just try to look at things as the glass half full <laughs> sometimes. But that uh, uh, rewatching it this week, that was my latest takeaway from it. This movie, I just very I'm so in love with the performances that Michelle Williams and Ryan Gosling give. And I think their chemistry is undeniable and the work that they did with the director in preparation where they lived together um, in that house that they live in in the movie. Um, he wanted them to live for a month in that house together with the the actress that played their daughter and uh, just to build this familiarity with each other. This was after they'd already shot their scenes as they were falling in love, which I another really interesting way this movie was put together is that they shot it in sequential order which is really rare for uh for movies a lot of the time movies are shot out of order so um i think that also added a lot to uh, added a lot to their chemistry and i i think that this was also um a film when i saw it in college it really turned me on to the power of like cinematography at the time uh because of the use of different um cameras like the, the scenes shot as they were falling in love were shot on super 16 millimeter. And then it was shot on a, um, what did I write down here? A red one were, was is what they used to film. 
and the disillusion time of their marriage. I, I There's a scene in this film that I would put down as, or I guess a, a setting in this, because I think the, the setting is broken up into a few different scenes. When they go to the future room, as Ryan Gosling calls it, I think that is like some really sublime like filmmaking um, that is so engaging to me and I like have so many emotions when I watch it. I'm really like I'm even feeling like I'm drifting away just thinking about it. I think that the use of space, the way that that, that their interactions are staged and um, the way um, that the the, the dialogue that Ryan Gosling and Michelle Williams are sharing and sometimes the things they're not saying to each other is just is a, like a real tour de force. Um, I can't believe I just used that term. <laughs> but um, yes. No, I, I totally agree with you. When I think of this movie, the first scene I think of is the space room scene. A shout out Portland Dive Bar space room. Um, I, you know, because I, I think even though, as I just said, it's not really a breakup that I can identify with, but the one scene in their relationship that I can't identify with is that scene because I think a lot of us know what it feels like when a relationship is over and you're trying, you're trying to keep it alive and it's just not, you're, it's just not working. And in that moment you just feel it. Like I think they both know it's over. Ryan Gosling's trying a little harder than she is. And you know, they start to have sex. It's so uncomfortable Mm -hmm. because it seems like he's trying, but maybe he doesn't want to. She definitely doesn't want to, but that that's the one scene I can empathize with, but uh, I I don't know if I agree with you. I think I think they're they're donezo after the movie. I don't see how you could stay together, but uh, um, yes. And, and Chelsea knows very well. I'm on record. I just adore Michelle Williams. I think she's one of the best actors in Hollywood. And Chelsea, I don't think you and I put that much stock in the Oscars. But uh, seriously, if she doesn't get an Oscar soon, I'm going to burn Hollywood to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> um, but really, justice for Michelle Williams. And really, and Ryan Gosling too. <laughs> yeah, and Ryan Gosling. Yeah, which I'm discovering in recent times. Like before, I used to think, man, he's like, like I respect him as an actor, but like physically, I'm just like, and eh, whatever. But now I'm like, damn, he's kind of a cutie, isn't he? <laughs> what a snack. <laughs> yeah, he's a, he's a snack with three C's. <laughs> it, and this is me saying it like right now. Who knows what I'll think tomorrow? But you know, it is interesting what you say that when she asks for space that, yeah, in a way it seems like it could be open-ended that they may come back together eventually. And maybe that's glass half full way of thinking it, but I also, I've never heard that take from anybody before. And kind of like what uh, Spencer brought up earlier, how, and what you said about how this movie seems to be cursed for couples. I've always wondered why that is. And if anything, I believe, like, obviously that has nothing to do with the movie because, yeah, I don't believe that anybody should be relating to that specific relationship that much because it doesn't necessarily start off, like, really in, like, the best way anyways. And if you're going to watch a movie about a relationship that's dissolving, then, I mean, maybe take a look at yourself, right? Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I do love that movie so much and I haven't seen it in a while. The last time I did, actually, I watched it with my cousin and my sister and they were, and a thing I actually wanted to bring up about it was how um, originally wasn't it supposed to be rated NC-17 because- There's uh, two versions. Yes. There's an NC-17 version and a rated R version. Mm-hmm. Now, I was just, I was, I was going to bring this up. I'm glad you did. I was going to ask which versions you've seen because I watched the NC-17 version and I didn't see anything that egregious with it. No, Same. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I think it, it really is just because there is a scene when he 
um, performs oral sex on her, um, and you don't oh, even Lord, you see think of the children. <laughs> <laughs> and Ryan Gosling actually spoke out against this uh, at the hypocrisy of it, of uh, like pointing out just because the roles are reversed. Like, how many movies have you we seen men have women go down on the man, and that movie's gotten away with an R rating, and just because now the roles are reversed, you're going to slap an NC-17. So he called the MPA sexist and. Uh, I'm forgetting all the insults he hurled at them, but I it made me it endeared me to Ryan Gosling even more. Maybe that's what's doing it for me. Yeah, no, I remember little feminist zaddy. <laughs> yeah, Zam zaddy. <laughs> but yeah, no, I that was a thing that was also really that another thing that a lot of people that I've spoken to have seen the movie. They were very disturbed by that. Granted, this was like maybe five or six years ago, the last time I revisited it, and I couldn't really wrap my head around what would be so disturbing about a man who is who seems to genuinely be want like he just wants to make his woman feel good but i guess that was like an unheard of thing when did it come out 2010 yeah yeah Uh so you know we just talked about gone girl almost well what that's like seven years later i mean i think ben affleck Uh, goes down on her actually came out in 2014 boy howdy it's been a minute well so that, that that makes my point even more gone girl comes out that much closer to blue valentine and I mean, Ben Affleck goes down on her in that. I mean, mm-hmm. was was the one a gratuitous, more gratuitous in Blue Valentine? I don't know. You're right. It's so silly. Maybe because it's uh, shot on a 16 millimeter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the go. graininess makes it seem that much more gratuitous. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> All right, Chelsea. Thank you for those great picks. Thank you guys. Um, so on to my picks, which I'm not going to bloviate on them too much because mine are. Uh, less interesting than the ones Don't you guys think. No, 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 I just mean they're they're more well known. Everybody's seen them, particularly you know one or two of them. Uh, so here we go. My number three is a little film called Memento. Uh, this was uh, Nolan's Christopher Nolan's second. I think it was his second major motion picture. He or I guess it would be it's an independent film. He <laughs> he did a small film called The Following, or just Following, black and white. It's only like an hour, 15 minutes. Um, that was the first thing he ever did. It's kind of it's kind of like Darnowski's Pie. It was like an early, just an early film before he got to do Insomnia with Al Pacino, Robin Williams, and then that got him Memento. But if you haven't seen Memento, it kind of is the beginning of Christopher Nolan's obsession with time because the movie moves backwards. The end of the movie is the beginning because Guy Pierce's character has short-term memory loss. So you're slowly moving backwards to find out how we got to where you start the movie off. I know it sounds really weird. I remember somebody telling me about it like in the early 2000s and I was like, what are you talking about? How, how is that even work? And until you watch the movie, you really don't understand how it works. But uh, really great job by Guy Pierce. Uh, really great job by Joe Pantliano, who's also, who's always mm-hmm. wonderful. Movie's really cool. I'm sure most of you have seen it, but if you haven't, definitely got to check out Memento, man. It's nothing like it. And I think it's good to remember that Christopher Nolan did come from like indie roots. Great point. Um, he, uh, and, and so he's always, I think, thought really big. And with, I think Tenet is kind of, okay, I'm kind of speaking out of my ass here because I haven't seen Tenet, but everything I've heard about Tenet sounds like it's kind of the bigger budget version of Memento in some ways, or it's like the big brother now to, to, to Memento in terms of that Christopher Nolan's getting to work out some of these thoughts he's had about uh, time. 
yeah, I I like that Memento was chosen. It was definitely a movie I saw when I was younger, and I I just I th- I think cool is a good way to word to describe it. Um, and and Guy Pierce is I mean like he has to carry the whole thing, and I I think he does an, yeah. an amazing job with it. He carries it for the most part by himself, but I think Joe Pantoliano is he's always pops up mm-hmm. in all the scenes, and I think he's a really great sidecar to Guy Pierce's motorcycle. Um, it's it's an interesting movie, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't seen Memento in quite a while, and I I have a really bad take here. I'm personally not a big Christopher Nolan fan in general. How dare you? I know, right? Like, I know it's one of the worst takes that I've had today, but I will say, like, so in terms of Nolan, like, I really did like Memento a lot, though, and it was definitely one of the most unique things I had seen at that time, and I really liked the way that the scenes were cut in with how like in black and white it was going in a certain order and then in color it wasn't and then I love that by the end of the movie even though it's pretty evident or at least what I'm remembering of it that Guy Pierce's character is kind of an unreliable narrator you Mm. still kind of want to side with him in a way yeah he's a bit of a well yeah I guess you have to say he's an unreliable narrator I mean Joe Pantoliano lays it all out for him at the end of the movie. But you're right. We are seeing it from Guy Pierce's point of view. So that's something I've never thought about. Um, yeah. And Nolan, yes. We talked about Nolan in the first episode. He's started to become divisive with fan bases. And I think generally the critiques on his movies are fair. I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan, but I can be objective. So, yeah. And I mean, like, I do believe that his- all of his movies are objectively good for various reasons, but um, I'm personally just not a fan of the really weak dialogue that you tend to find in them. And there's a lot of exposition and I don't always find like his yeah storytelling to be very effective, at least for me. And it almost seems like as viewers, we're supposed to just ignore those things for the bigger picture for something that is like, Oh yeah, this is really aesthetically pleasing and the concepts of time that are, Um, frequent in his films are very interesting but then when you take a closer look you're like oh yeah they're not really saying anything of substance well granted I don't think every film character has to say anything like particularly intelligent or unique at all times but damn damn man (laughs) Uh, well I'll tell you what we I'm sure at some point we're going to be doing a Nolan episode and I'd be happy to have you come back to be the voice of reason talk to talk me back a little bit (laughs) <laughs> please do or, come back Brittany yeah. yeah no I would love to but yeah or maybe you will just talk me into being a Nolan fangirl and I'll leave after. I'm going to put you in the clockwork orange chair and make you watch <laughs> all of his movies oh perfect <laughs> <laughs> I would want nothing more alright so moving on to my number two uh, just such a dope movie I uh, I picked Drive the uh, the film by Nicholas Winding Refn I remember, so I remember like seeing trailers for it and I was like, that looks interesting. And so my sister lives in Los Angeles, uh, her and her husband and her, bro- her, her brother-in-law, um, got to see an early screening or excuse me, the brother, um, my, my brother-in-law's brother, he got to see an early screening. It was just raving about it. So that made them go see it. And she was immediately texting me like, you've got to see this movie. And I had to finally wait, I think for DVD, but I remember I got it before Netflix streaming was really big i got the dvd sent to my house i watched it three times before i sent it back and i remember like every time i watch it i'm like i love this movie so much and i don't know why 
like I can't even tell you. It's just you, it's just so cool, and you're so that first of all, one of the best opening scenes of a movie in the last like twenty years. Like that car chase is amazing. Uh, the music is is all the music choices are cool, and honestly, I'll say some of Nicholas Winding Refn's other some of his uh, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Uh, some of his other films are problematic, but the music is always good. But Drive is just, I mean, Gosling's, per, he's amazing in it. Early Oscar Isaac's performance. Carrie Mulligan's amazing in it. Brian Cranston's amazing in it. Albert Brooks, who made his <laughs> entire career being a stand-up comedian. And, I mean, you know, he's a taxi driver, but he's Marlon in Finding Nemo, and he's this super intimidating, sinister mobster. It's, you know, and then much like Refn's other movies, Out of Nowhere just becomes horrifically violent. And just hit you like a sledgehammer and no warning, which I, I love it. Um, but man, it's, it's such a great movie. And I, I wish some of his other films lived up to it. Like I've seen Only God Forgives, not a good movie. Um, mm-hmm. as, he's always aesthetically pleasing. His use of color, yeah. um, his use of music, slow-mo cameras. I mean, these long, slow shots, but they're always placed so well. Uh, I also saw The Neon Demon. Mm-hmm. We'll have to we'll have to talk about that one at some point, Chelsea. Uh, it's uh, that's 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 quite a movie, but uh, I, I he just he just hit it out of the park of Drive, and I could watch that movie a million times and never get sick of it. I've so just to kind of tack on about like only God forgives. Yeah, that was that movie was not it for me, but I respect the aesthetic and I respect the music, of Absolutely. course. And the Neon Demon, I was actually talking to Chelsea about this the other day where I, I have a lot of opinions about that movie. I'll, I'll just keep it brief, but kind of similar. It, yeah, similar thing where it's like really aesthetically pleasing. And but uh, it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, it's a very fascinating movie. And I love what it's trying to say, but I feel like it it barely dips a toe into that water and like into the pool actually. i think it alternates i think it dips its toes in and then it punches you in the face and then it dips its toes back in and it's just mm. like i can't tell if this movie's heavy-handed or not <laughs> interesting yeah no i i felt that yeah neon demon was very superficial throughout and admittedly like so i had i watched drive like the very first time i watched it i was like taking a general education class in community college and i was really like damn this is a really really cool movie and then i rewatched it earlier this week and i still feel that it is a very cool movie and i mean i i love me some carrie mulligan and i'm very endeared to ryan gosling there's a hundred thousand streets in this city you don't need to know the route you give me a time and a place i give you a five minute window anything happens in that five minutes and i'm yours no matter what but at the same time, like, I really love the use of lighting in the movie. So can we talk about the elevator scene briefly? Uh, we, well, yeah. You mean that cool <laughs> scene in the movie that goes from this, again, and your Neon Demon had it too, slow-mo shot. Mm-hmm. This beautiful slow-mo shot with this very subtle music and this gorgeous kiss right into chaos. <laughs> yeah. And I love the way that it was like, it was bright and then it was like getting dimmer and dimmer. And then before you know it, just bam, bam, like goodbye face. Like who needed that anyways? Like <laughs> I will say that I didn't um, like I remembered, of course, there was violence in drive. Like there's no way that you watch that movie and forget like, oh, Christina that was Hendrix loses her head. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> actually, like I because I had to 
I was doing some work still, so I had to pause like right as soon as Christina Hendricks' head gets blown blown off. Which, damn, what what a scene that was. Uh, but I kind of forgot like how um, graphic the violence in the movie was. And, Extremely graphic. Yeah, and I mean, this is just my my personal opinion. Lately, I'm a little like not not here for super super graphic violence in films, and I I do realize that in Drive, I will say that the the violence does serve a purpose. Like there's mo there's like actual motive behind everything that's done, which I appreciate and it doesn't feel gratuitous, but I'm like, Ooh, maybe, maybe I will look away next time. <laughs> yeah. Chelsea, I'd love to get your thoughts real quick, but we, we do need to speed it up a little bit. Yeah. I, I'll just say, uh, that I think that the, it's, I think it's a very, uh, perfect love letter to the city that it's set in. Um, uh, I think it utilized Los Angeles really well. I think everything else you said, I, I am very interested and um, agree with a lot of the things you have already said, both of you. Great. All right. So my number one, and we don't need to talk too much about it. We've touched on it in the first episode is absolute moonlight. Um, I've already brought it up. Just adore that movie. What a powerful movie, a touching movie. Um, you know, I've talked about it in the first episode. So Chelsea, you just rewatched it for the first time in a while. I'd love to get your thoughts. And then Brittany, if you want to throw some stuff in briefly, and then we can move on to the rankings. Yes. Um, I, I, there is a real like grandeur to this film, uh, at that I, I had sort of forgotten about, like, uh, there's real artistry, I guess I want to, I want to say that, uh, Barry Jenkins put into, uh, the, the shots, uh, the way he crafted a lot of his scenes and the use of, there's also a use of slow-mo in the way the character Chiron is interacting with people and the way the camera will focus on the person that Chiron is speaking to and it will like intercut with their, their voice is off with what their face is doing. Their face is usually in slow-mo as Chiron is kind of bringing it being brought into the scene with this person i thought that was really effective i mean uh mahershala ali his oscar is is well deserved um there is a scene at the table that i was like wrecked by when little asks him if he deals drugs and i think the restraint that it, that performance took like it, there's a lot happening in the face and in the body language of Mahershala Ali that I was I had like a real great appreciation for upon watching it a second time I I just think it's um and I think following this character of Chiron I'm I'm saying his name right is that correct it's Chiron Chiron yeah. Chiron I'm sorry um so following Chiron through these three acts in his life it's kind of an interesting way also to look at America within the like the last uh, 20-ish years um, too. And it's that part of the United States uh, in Florida, which I'm not that familiar with, but I think it deserved having a spotlight put on it. Um, and it's a beautiful film. I'm glad you picked it, Spencer. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, Chelsea, I agree with everything that you said about the movie. And I mean, coming as a person who is like in the LGBTQ plus community, I really loved that. And again, I can't speak for gay men specifically, but I really loved my favorite thing about the character of Shy of Chiron is that they could have very easily, you know, when his, his mother makes a comment about like, 
you see the way that he walks and he seems like a little like a small yeah he's called little for a reason lanky kind of boy and it very easily could have turned into a trope and he could have been like what you would see on RuPaul's Drag Race or something very stereotypical kind of gay and I really love that when you see him grow up that he's very much like secure in his own masculinity and just living his own life Mm -hmm. and that yeah it is you know in a way it can be seen as really heartbreaking at the end when he tells his friend Kevin that he had not been in any intimate situations with anybody else besides him but I think a conversation that we had about the movie earlier there's something really beautiful about that maybe he's not gay maybe yeah maybe there's nothing there who needs to put a label on it it's just Kevin was that person for him and I also love that it wasn't like it wasn't overly sexualized at all because that is a thing that can happen in queer media where a lot of times uh, queer people like tend to just want to see like a lot of sex and there's a lot more to it than that so I think Moonlight was a really really beautiful movie and I'm glad that you put it on the list as well yeah love it so good Okay, so now we got to come up with a consensus number 10. So what I'm going to do is I made a little list, and I'm going to go down that list. I just want to see if we match up anywhere, and maybe we can pretty easily come up with a concession. So my first five, we all picked. I did, of course, my three, <laughs> and then I also picked um, Blue Valentine and Short Term 12 with my four and five. So after that, I've got Shame. Anybody else touch on Shame? Oh, I cannot with that movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> I Look, it's a heavy movie, but it's just so wonder- like so well-made. It is a very well-made movie. Steve McQueen is an incredible director. Yeah, and I mean Michael Fassbender, man, what a what a performance. I no, I do really like Shame, but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh Ex Machina. Ooh. Another I, heavy movie that's incredibly well made. I really like Ex yeah, Ex Machina, but man, I didn't even think to put that on my yeah. top ten. After that I've got her, Joaquin Phoenix, Spike Jones movie. I didn't think to add her to yeah, my list either. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever actually watched the movie in full. Well, then we can't do it. Then, okay. Uh, I just threw it on. I mean, I don't have strong feelings about it, but it's a good movie. Little Miss Sunshine. Oh. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's I haven't another seen it in a long time, but there's some really touching stuff mm-hmm. in it and some really funny parts. The broken horn just kills me. Car horn. Uh, and the last one on my list, thought we should put something a little disturbing on here. Green Room. Oh, green room. We watched that over the summer. Yeah. So mm. did any of that match up? Did anybody got any other suggestions? Or did anybody think I, did any one of those you guys feel like is a good number 10? Uh, go actually, first, Chelsea, I would love to hear your list. Well, okay. So I've sort of just randomly scribbled some things, but I'll just shout them out. Um, uh, the film is American Honey. Have you seen that, Spencer? Oh, no. American Honey was on my list. Oh. I, I haven't, but I, it's been on my list. Okay, I'd, I'd love for you to see it sometime. Um, eighth grade. Eighth grade's on my list. Um, Tangerine. Did anyone see? That was the movie that was shot all in an iPhone. Oh, I heard about that. I haven't seen it. Tangerine is a good one. was not on my list, though. Um, Juno? Can Juno? Does Juno count as an indie movie? That's sure. a good question. Let me check the production company. Keep going down your list. Okay. Um get out was that an independent film if did bloom house i think that, that one? was an independent film i can't be too sure though and then uh the witch oh man i haven't seen that whole thing but that's a great pick Ooh, the witch is a good one and what's one of the ones you just said um the witch no, get out i was okay. gonna say get out i might be willing to concede on that one just because 
I, I, I'm not as high on that movie as a lot of people are, but there's no denying like the it's ingenuity in and the importance of it and the recognition that it got. So if I'm fine with that, if as a consensus, unless something else. Okay. Uh, yeah. Juno was, Juno was an indie film for okay. sure. Fox Searchlight, I think put that out. I don't know, but. Yeah. All, all the production right. companies are really small when right. I just looked up. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I'm also not like a, a super huge fan of Get Out, but I recognize the importance of the film and I do think it was very well made and very, very unique. Yeah. There's nothing really, like it. Yeah. And it really speaks to a very specific experience that like a lot of viewers may not understand, quite frankly. And I think it's really important to kind of that it it does a really good job at like kind of putting you in that position even yeah ever so slightly yeah so I, i'm fine with that everyone else is fine with that i know i'm like ooh, get out or did you guys sounded excited about the witch when i mentioned that i haven't seen the whole thing <gasps> oh, that's part of it oh but, you haven't okay yeah. okay okay yeah, the witch was on my list but i also yeah sorry should i go down my yeah, list or? yeah please um so i put hunt for the wilder people that's a great movie oh <laughs> i great love movie. that once the the musical okay. movie which honestly I've that yeah that was a contender it. for my top three solely because that movie was just like a miracle project like mm-hmm. the fact that it was even made is amazing um i had eighth grade not little miss sunshine but i put ruby sparks like i love me a movie that talks about like um that tries to take down the manic pixie dream girl trope the grand budapest hotel that fell under independent really Chris Anderson was so big at that point. Is that not considered an independent film? I'd have to look up the production. I saw it show up on lists when I was looking at indie films. Um, But I remember Micah saw it too, and he was like, that was independent, but I must have squeaked by. It falls (laughs) under the criteria we've laid out. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm still in the get out camp, I think. Yeah, you know what? Like, I can can concede to get out. Get out? Okay. Okay. So we have our 10. Here are our 10. Ingrid Goes West, Short Term 12, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Good Time, Napoleon Dynamite, Blue Valentine, Memento, Drive, Moonlight, and Get Out. So if I could start, I think something's got to be 10. These are all good movies. It's not a slight. I think I'm going to make the case that Ingrid Goes West should be a 10, and I'll tell you why. Much more of a lighter theme than I think a lot of the other movies on our, on our list. Also, I think the final act's a little problematic. Uh, I have I have some issues with her, like the curtain being raised for her. Like Elizabeth Olsen is Elizabeth Olsen. That's the second time I've screwed up her name. Is clearly kind of brushing her off, and her husband admits that she's a fake, and her brother's blackmailing her. And the next day, she still wants to be. I'm just like, come on, man. Like I I don't. This is unbelievable. So I really like the movie. I think that that last act is going to make me put it at ten. But you're welcome to defend your movie if you'd like. I mean, so is the last act problematic for you just because you found it unbelievable that she would still go to those great lengths for somebody? I found it, who, I found it a little absurd. And then and then it's like she also doesn't learn anything at the end of the movie. She she kills herself for all of her followers and then lives or doesn't. She attempts to kill herself and then is still obsessed with all of her followers and she's become the thing that she was shown is bad and I'm just kind of annoyed by the ending even though it's a really good movie. Yeah, I actually really love the fact that Ingrid learned nothing because I feel like that's actually... (laughs) I mean, legitimately... Yeah, legitimately, it's the most believable part of the movie for me is that 
at the very end, like, of course, she didn't learn anything from it. Because a lot of people even like, you know, a lot of times we talk about how you have to go to like some extreme lengths and have something really bad happen for you to like turn it around. But a lot of times there's quite a few people who don't. And yeah, the last bit, it was very difficult to watch when it's like, why do you buy the house next to Elizabeth Olsen and those things? But I mean, on a much smaller scale, I can relate to that energy in some way where, I mean, when I was younger, there I would definitely go to great lengths to try to maintain a connection with somebody, even though it was very obvious that they didn't reciprocate that energy. So I think I, yeah, I really feel for this movie because I see a lot of myself in Ingrid. And I think a lot of people might as well, but that could just be me right now. I was going to throw it out there that we we all didn't seem like super stoked on Get Out, but we think it's like deserving of being mentioned. So I didn't know yeah. if, if that was something that we I think that's put a in good the point. I would put Get Out. And then put I, Ingrid I think this is a good ninth. point. I think it's a good point. And I will play devil's advocate for just a second. I think what got me with Get Out too is there was so much hype. And then I saw it and I was like, okay, it's a good movie. I don't get the hype though. That's fair. I'm going to put Get Out of 10. Okay. Mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, they're both topical, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think they're both like important points to culture today. So that's fair. So I'd get put Get Out of 10. Here's, I'll tell you what. I'd put Get Out of 10, Ingrid Goes West 9, and I'd put Memento at 8 because it's a cool movie, but it's just like not as prolific as some of these other movies on our list i was even gonna throw out and say that i could i could put good time towards like the top uh like i almost feel like i know good time was my pick you're saying but closer I, to 10 i no not to 10 but you the closer to t- that closer end of, to that 10, end of the spectrum when like you said- i i feel that i'm kind of seeing like Get Out, Good Time, Ingrid Goes West, kind of around the same area within Memento, maybe. Um, You've convinced me. I think I'm going to put Good Time at nine. I think I enjoyed Ingrid Goes West more than Good Time. Okay. Okay. I'm okay with that. I'm I'm really okay with that. This is this is way too civil, and I was really hoping we're going to go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Chelsea and I are known for being very agreeable people. <laughs> like, our whole department tells us that frequently the claws will come out i think as we get closer to the number one maybe we'll we'll get a little and more remember y'all like based on the imdb game i am not a competitive person <laughs> okay i think the pauline dynamite's gotta go next like Can right you... in the middle yeah at five. Oh, excuse me six what a... okay we have it's it's a delightful movie we've got some really poignant movies after this though yeah yeah that's fair that's fair okay Brittany, any thoughts no, I think Napoleon Dynamite is like mid tier, like think, on this list. And if we get, I think Drive should come right after. In, in, I, my, in my opinion, I would I almost think. argue that it should be Drive and then Napoleon Dynamite. I think this is where we're getting heated. Oh, Absolutely yes. not. Drive is a better movie than Napoleon Dynamite. Okay, well, where would Drive fit on this list for you? I could put Drive after Napoleon Dynamite. It's just, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. It's a cool movie, but like, well, Drive had so Drive had the the biggest budget. And Napoleon Dynamite had the smallest budget when we're looking at that. Damn, that's a compelling and what, point. What they were able to pull off. Okay, what? I do want to say once we get them ranked, I'm going to listen back off. We want to make any changes we okay. can. Okay. But I think that budgeting thing is a compelling point. It's more impressive what they did in Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, that is actually very true. But I right now, and I'd rather a, watch. Drive. I think it's a little more <laughs> far-reaching. I, I like if we're taking into consideration what it's done for culture 
At the same time, I know Drive is a sty- very stylistic movie that has influenced a lot of films that have come after it. To too. be fair, nobody in Drive buys anyone a delicious bass. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no. I think for the two car chases alone, it's got to go above Napoleon Dynamite. The opening scene and then the and the one after Oscar Isaacs gets shot. Those just two of the best movie scenes in the last. 20 years but john hater dancing <laughs> john hater dancing is more iconic no, I, I, i'm totally kidding i i i feel fine keeping uh i i also it also sounds kind of weird having it go memento right into drive is that how we were yeah, yeah yeah so i think having napoleon dynamite buffer those two uh okay. more like machismo movies i i machismo. like that i don't think memento's machismo I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, I don't mean that. I love machismo movies. I think Good Time is kind of <laughs> a machismo. All right. Okay. So, whew, this is going to get tough now. Um, so we got we got six. Okay. So the final four: Short Term Twelve, Eternal Sunshine, Blue Valentine, and Moonlight. Look, I'm just going to jump ahead and put Moonlight at one and one Best Picture. I'll fight both of you. I wouldn't agree with that. I don't oh think. mercy. Yeah, what do you think, Chelsea? Like, the thing is, I don't know of those four which one I would put at the top, but I don't think I would put Moonlight at the top. I would very easily give it a two. I would see, I would put Short Term 12 at two. That that movie is so uniquely moving. Yeah. But I got Moonlight. So that means I would put, so I will be fair, and I would put Blue Valentine after Drive. We're going to get the, we're going to get the Ryan Gosling double, double decker. Okay. And then Eternal Sunshine. I, I have to say Eternal Sunshine is a better movie, even though I'd rather watch Blue Valentine. And then Short Term 12 and the Moonlight. That's how I'm finishing out. I like Short Term 12 ranking above um, Eternal Sunshine. Yeah, that's where I'm at on that as well. I'm just going to hover those two. I, But I think Blue Valentine should be ranked higher than Eternal Sunshine. Um, so, so then you'd put Eternal Sunshine at... I think Eternal. I think Eternal Sunshine could. That's the thing. Those two movies are, yeah, God, very how similar. Do we, very yeah, similar. very similar. But yeah, but man, Blue Valentine though is like I know I, I, you know what I would be okay with Eternal Sunshine being four, four. even though I do think that it was, it was more well made than Blue Valentine, but Blue Valentine just has something to it. Well, I think Gosling and Williams are better than. Carrie and Carrie. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm done with that. I love Blue Valentine. Yeah, I think Blue Valentine has like a special sauce that and and I I don't feel like it's brought up enough when people talk about like devastating relationship movies. I feel like everyone already thinks about Eternal Sunshine and I don't hear enough people talk about Blue Valentine. So with all the thousands of fans that we're hopefully gonna have when they listen to this, <laughs> we're gonna change some hearts and minds. All right. Okay. So Eternal Sunshine is four. That leaves us a Blue Valentine, Short Term 12, and Moonlight. I've spoken my piece. So I would I would have Blue Valentine at three, 12 at two, Moonlight at one. Come at me. Okay. How would – what could we say that Short Term 12 has above Moonlight? You can't. I'm too compelling. <laughs> Do you have a strong opinion about it, Brittany? I don't think I have as strong an, an opinion about it as I may have thought, because again, I'm relatively agreeable. 
I mean, the thing is, like, I, yeah, Moonlight is such an incredible film, but, like, it really, and while it did move me, I, yeah, again, I can't explain that emotional attachment that I have to Short Term 12, and I was just so affected by it, and that's not a good enough reason to want to rank it above Moonlight. Yes, it is, but you just have to make the case. But you're putting Short Term 12 at one, so it sounds like we're all putting Blue Valentine at three. Yeah, yes, I think it's fine there. I do think the top two spots should be Short Term 12 and Moonlight. Um, well, we got ourselves a Mexican standoff here, <laughs> ladies. Yeah, but now I'm curious to know what you think, Chelsea. I think for the cast of Short Term 12 and what a lot of those actors have gone on to do, that movie should be held in really high regard for, yeah, the, the talent pool there. And it's a really cool, like, touchstone um, to revisit now that a lot of these actors have have grown up and become really successful there is like an epic quality to moonlight that makes me want to like put it in the number one spot but then i'm also kind of like but is that obvious to put a number one spot at one best picture but short term 12 needs more love so if we gave it number one but we have to be able to back up why it's number one that is not a good reason it's what do you think is better it's not getting as much love because it's not a better movie. You're making my case for me. <laughs> What's a more rewatchable movie? I th- I'd rather rewatch Short Term 12 than Moonlight. Uh, I, I, I may have to concede that. Yeah. I may have to concede that. But that doesn't make it better. There's some incredible movies that I've only watched once and I'll never see again, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm never going to watch A Deer Hunter again. It's an amazing movie. Well, you, I feel like, Spencer, though, you didn't really get to... I know on another episode you talked about Moonlight, but I felt like you left it up to me and Brittany to talk about Moonlight, and you didn't really get to... Well, well I know. We, I was trying to save on time, but I think Brittany said a lot of what I was going to say, you know, the way they delivered it all, the hum- humanism in the relationship. And, you know, we talked off off air about kind of what Brittany said about not over-sexualizing the movie and the fact that, you know, we, we discussed that it's not even definitive that Chiron is gay. It's He could be gay, but it's just the point that he connected with this person and it doesn't matter. Like, all that stuff's so poignant. But just watching his his struggle, you know, and the connections he has with Mahershali and... Um, um, Janelle Monet. Janelle Monet, But the struggles he has with his mother and the struggles he has with, you know, the other high school students and what kind of adult that turned him into until he found that person again and it all just crumbles away. And he's that same kid again. I just, on top of the aesthetics, the lighting, the color, just, I mean, one best picture. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so. You're the tiebreaker, Chelsea. I no just pressure. have to think back about how we were all so excited to talk about Short Term 12. Like, we lit point. up when Brittany said that was her choice. I mean, yeah, Spencer, you were like, that made my top five. And it I also my top three. was like, I, I was, yeah, jumping out of my seat because I was so excited. It finally gave me the reason to see it after hearing so many wonderful things about it. I don't know. I think in my gut, I, I, nobody's life's on the line here, Chelsea. Actually, yeah, they are. Big cut. Um, High stakes. All right. My gut feeling is that Moonlight should be number one with Short Term 12, like squeaking right behind it at number two. 
but that's really hard. And I, I, I'm picking Moonlight over Short Term 12 just for uh, the uh, – I, I think it's epicness. There is just like uh, to, to that uh, type of uh, the, the storyline and following a life of, a, of this young man. Yeah, and, you know, I've, the fact that we squabbled over this just tells you that both movies are really just magnificent and uh, should be watched. And uh, Do you want to cut us, Brittany? <laughs> Do we're you, we're all nah. getting short-term 12. I really don't one? because... Everyone's a winner. Yeah, no. I mean, again, these are all 10 very great films, and I genuinely actually don't care about how they're ranked. I'm just glad we discussed them at all. And you know what? I kind of changed my mind a little bit because, like... I mean, maybe this is kind of a cop-out answer, but I do think Moonlight just being, well, one, it just being such a great film, but also I'm here for representation and especially when it's done well. That's fair. That's a personal connection you have to it and that goes into your ranking, right? Yeah. So a lot of movies came out in the 21st century. Any movies, we pick these 10. That may, I mean, that matters. So here's our final rankings. Coming in at 10, Get Out. Good time. Ingrid Goes West at eight. Memento. Napoleon Dynamite rounding out the top five. And the bottom five is Drive, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, Blue Valentine, Short Term 12, and Moonlight coming in at one. Love this list. This was a lot of fun, ladies. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. So we're going to real quick just finish up with our recommendations. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first. So I've got a really weird one for you this week. Uh, this week, this episode. We don't do this weekly. Um I was visiting some friends recently and they brought this movie up and they're like, you don't know what we're talking about. And I said, no, I don't. And they're like, we have to watch it right now. The movie's called Human Highway. Probably never heard of it. No. Here's why you've never heard of it. Neil Young got with Devo and Dennis Hopper in the early 80s and said, I want to make a movie. You heard me. Neil Young, heart of gold, want to make a movie. It is absolutely bizarre. It makes no sense. I don't know how he got Dennis Hopper to do it. Devo, the band Devo co-stars with him throughout it. Here's much as I can tell you. It's a post-apocalyptic world. Neil Young and a friend are mechanics at a diner and gas station. And another bad event is coming. I don't know what else to tell you because it's just, it is, just go watch the trailer on YouTube. It is absolutely drug-fueled bizarre world human highway human highway i'm giving it a one <laughs> because one you probably can't find it anywhere and two i don't want to meet the person that thinks this is a good movie <laughs> it's one of those movies you watch the same way you watch the room okay so human highway look up the the trailer Brittany, please um so the movie that i'll talk about right now is called beach rats um, have either of you heard of it? No. Oh. So I recently actually watched a movie called Never Rarely, Always Sometimes. Uh, and it's directed by Eliza Hitman. Excellent, excellent movie. Uh, could not recommend that enough. But I ended up seeking out her other work. And it's this film called Beach Rats, which follows um, a, a, man, a young man who's living in New Jersey. But honestly, he looks kind of like he's living in Alabama. I'm not really sure what the vibe is. There are he's no, he's in Brooklyn, but again, they look kind of like rednecks and he spends his days just like smoking weed with his friends. But then at night, he's going on these chat rooms and meeting up with men and exploring his sexuality. 
And it's kind of it's a strange movie in that like like there is there is some scenes in it that are there's a scene in particular that's really upsetting and you kind of follow the story and it's very slice of lifey which is kind of what I appreciated about it but then by the end of the movie I kind of felt like is that it it was another one of those things like where uh this uh was this straight white woman I uh in the position to actually tell a story about like a closeted gay man I'm not sure so I think I would give it a two like Maybe, yeah, if you get around to watching it, awesome, but I, I wouldn't say go out of your way. Is it on streaming? It is on streaming. I believe it's on Hulu presently. Great. Thank you, Brittany. And Chelsea? Um, not an indie movie in the slightest, but uh, I recently rewatched Minority Report, and um, I just thought it was really f- just super fun, and it was really uh, great to see Colin Farrell in that role uh if for those aren't familiar with it he's sort of this uh antagonistic character to tom cruise and there's some confusion uh, uh from the audience perspective as to like who the real bad guy is in the movie and there's some twists and turns but i think it's uh uh i think steven spielberg i have not read um the the story by uh by philip k dick that minority report is based on but um i think steven spielberg really created this this world in um a really masterful way and i thought it was really fun with my 2021 perspective looking back on this film that was made in the early aughts about kind of what they see the future as and so much emphasis on product placement um in the film which um i i was kind of just tickled by like the I remember when as a kid watching that movie thing the Lexus like self-driving cars like blew my mind and like I still remember that it was Lexus so I really drove that in my head but it for being a Steven Spielberg movie I think he really dove deep into some really like grotesque elements um there were some really uh dark stuff in there that um I think he really stretched himself with I would I would say a three for Minority Report it, um, I don't think it is on a streaming service. I think we had to rent it to watch it, but uh, it's worth the rental because it's just really entertaining and really gripping. So I, I enjoyed rewatching Minority Report. Awesome. Thank you, Chelsea. Uh, okay, so we're going to be back next time. I think we're going to let the Oscars pass and then going to recap the Oscars, me and Chelsea, and uh, maybe we'll have to get together and just watch that all together. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> So until next time, Brittany, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you, Brittany. Yeah, thank you again for having me. This was really fun. Yeah, we'll have you back. And Chelsea, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone listening. And we'll see you next time. See ya. Thank you for listening. The Marquee Spotlight is recorded in Portland, Oregon. Music composed and produced by Josh Colopy. And cover art created by Taylor Engel. Check us out on Twitter for updates regarding new episodes and listen to episodes anywhere podcasts are found.